Well, good morning, everyone. Well, the series is called Grow Up. It is a call to Christian maturity. And I want to illustrate that this morning. I have a picture of my future turkey hunting partner. And I'm going to illustrate the need for maturity. But it's a very short nine-second video. But I want you to listen for his ability to identify a turkey and listen to his call to the turkey. Huh? Where's the turkey? I just hear. What does it say? Okay, all of you can be turkey callers today. Come on. Now, he's cute in church, but if you take him in the turkey woods, you're not going to get a turkey with that. Are you with me today? Because he's not grown up. How many know he's doing the best he can, but in the same way as that little boy is going to grow up, how many know God wants all of us to grow up? God, wants, God has created and designed a life for us to live, and He wants us to grow up into it. Well, I'm going to talk about it today. This series is a challenge to grow up spiritually and, listen, become a mature follower of Jesus Christ. And this is the heart of this series. What do I mean by mature follower? A mature follower of Christ is someone who loves Jesus more than they love anyone or anything else. A mature follower is someone who's committed to be the person that the Lord wants them to be and do what the Lord wants them to do. That's the standard. But here's what I've found, and this is kind of the key to the whole series. We've used this every week. But this throne represents the throne that's on our heart, an unseen throne about who's in control in our lives. And what I have found, there's, not, there's, there's just enough room for one king and King John can sit on it, but there's not enough room for King Jesus to sit on it too. You know what I have to do if I want Jesus on the throne of my life? I've got to get off, come on now, and make him not only my Savior, but my Lord. And that's the gist of this series on maturity. Well, this morning we're going to talk about growing closer to God. And the passage is a very intriguing passage, James 4, 8. It says, and I want you to say this out loud with me, Come close to God and God will come close to you. Think about that. The God who created the heavens and the universe, the God who sends the cold and the warmth, the God who, 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 who created us, who sustains us, God says, if you'll make steps to me, the Bible doesn't say, if God comes close to you, you'll come close to Him, does it? No, it says, you come close to God, and then God comes close to you. And I want to help you do that this morning. I've entitled the message, Growing Closer to God. And I want to begin by asking the question, what does being close to God look like? And I'm going to look at two people in the Bible. One of them is Ananias. One uh, uh, is Stephen. One of them grew close, or found closeness to God led to an opportunity of significance. The other found their closeness to God helped them go through a crisis. Now, both the chapters are long, and I've condensed them, but just listen to what closeness to God can look like. Ananias, in Acts chapter 9, verse 10, the Lord spoke to Ananias in a vision, and Ananias answered, Here I am, Lord. Now, you know what that sounds like to me? That sounds like a conversation to between Linnell and I. You and your wife, your friend, your golfing buddy. Uh, yesterday, we're near lunchtime in the Miller household, and we're trying to figure out what we wanted to eat. We figured it was cold. We wanted something red, so we said, how about chili? She said, great, but we don't have any beans. And uh, since uh, I like beans in my chili, she said, you want to go to the store? And I said, sure. So I went to get it, and I came back. So what's the deal? 
We talked to one another. I heard her voice and I did what she asked. Listen to what happened here. Uh, here I am, Lord. And uh, verse 11, uh, the Lord said, I want you to go and ask for a man named Saul from the city of Tarsus. But Ananias answered, Lord, many people have told me about the terrible things he did to your people in Jerusalem. In other words, Saul would persecute the church. He would literally uh, kill Christians. They would become martyrs because of this insane man who thought he was doing the work of God. But after a little bit of, of wrangling with God, verse 17, Ananias went. Now, what he did was incredible because Saul would one day become Paul. And Paul was the man that wrote two-thirds of the New Testament and brought the Christianity to the entire non-Jewish world. An incredible man, and he had an opportunity to do something great for God, and it came because of his closeness with God. Listen, God speaks, we hear, and we do what he says. It's as simple as that, but here's what I want you to know. It's possible. Because this is not sp uh, spooky, it's not mystical, it's not weird, but it's normal for the Christian to be able to know the voice of God. Didn't Jesus say, my sheep, what? Know my sure, know my voice. So, I don't know about you, but when God speaks, I want to hear His voice. I want Him to be able to trust me, to talk to me, and I want to be able to do things like Ananias did, so my life has great meaning. How about you today? Come on, give the Lord a good, a good hand. Now, one more example. Uh, his name is Stephen. Stephen was a deacon in the church, a lengthy chapter, chapter and a half about this man. But let's look at his story. Acts chapter 6. Now, this is what happens when you're close to God in a crisis. Well, it begins in verse 8, God gave Stephen the power to do great miracles. Seems to me like that's something very special of a, out of a close relationship. But sadly, verse 9, some people were jealous. They were against him. And he begins to talk to them, verse 10. Now listen, the Spirit was helping him to speak with wisdom. You know, if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit lives inside you. And it is possible that the same Holy Spirit that spoke through Stephen can speak through you and I. Yeah. That when we're close to God, and it's again, it's not weird, it's not spooky, we're not going, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, blah, 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 blah. Yes, Lord. It, it just, it's more conversational because you're close to God. Uh, look what happened verse 15. The people in the meeting even saw his face. His face looked like the face of an angel. Have you ever met someone that was in a, a crisis that you just didn't know how they would be able to handle and you couldn't, but they had the peace of God all over their face? They had the peace of God in their countenance. Well, this comes out of closeness. Now, he's with the Jews, and this gets really ugly. Uh, he, all he did was tell them the truth, and they decided that they were going to kill him. As they're coming to him with rocks to stone him, look at this next verse. He looked up to heaven, and he saw Jesus. He saw Jesus standing at God's right side. Now, wouldn't you think that would be pretty comforting if you're about to be martyred or killed? To know that kind of closeness can bring that to you. Verse 58, they began to throw stones at him to kill him. And Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. It, it, rather than looking at the rock throwers, he was still looking to Jesus. Uh, it, it's almost like he was in this bubble with God. He, it, it, the, there was conflict on the outside. It was horrible. It was terrible. Uh, but not only did he pray, Lord, receive my spirit, he knew heaven was real. He was going somewhere. He fell on his knees and cried, Lord, don't hold this sin against him. 
Now, I don't know about you, but that's something like that wants to make you shake your fist at somebody, wave them your middle finger at them. You understand what I'm saying? It wants to make you say something ugly, makes you want you to threaten them. But this man was totally different. And the reason he was different, friends, is because of the closeness of his Savior to his life. And what I want to simply tell you today, closeness with God like this for an opportunity or in a crisis is possible for the followers of Jesus Christ. Now, I want to tell you how this morning, how this happens. Jesus is our great example. And for Jesus, the big lesson of the day is Jesus spent time alone with God. And spending time alone with God is the key to growing closer to God. Let me say it again. Spending time alone with God is the key to growing closer to God. We call it a morning devotion. We call it a time where we get up a little early, and I'll talk to you later about what we do. But this was the key to his life. And I want you to look at three things about Jesus. Not only was Jesus regularly in the habit of spending time with God in the morning, but when Jesus had a, 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 a decision to make, he prayed about it. He spent time with God. When Jesus was facing a crisis, he prayed about it. He spent time with God. And this is what I want you to see. Closeness with God brings the benefits of having His presence in our life. Mark chapter 1, let's read about Jesus spending alone time with God as a daily practice. Verse 35, early in the next morning, Jesus woke and left the house, and He went to a lonely or an isolated place. And what did He do? He prayed. Now, I mean, it's pretty hard to have a, a, a prayer time with your kids when they're eating Cheerios. Pretty hard to have a prayer time when uh, somebody's watching television. It's just hard to be sitting on the couch while the action movie's going on. You got to get away from all of it, and that's exactly what Jesus did. It was the pattern of his life. He did it every day. I have been a Christian over four decades. I am not perfect, but I have never backslidden. I've never walked away from God. My love for God is more solid today than it's ever been at any time in my life. And if there's one thing that I would credit it to is the priority of my life is every morning when I get up, I take some time to be with God. We learn this example from Jesus, and it's the key to closeness. Now, it doesn't stop there, though. Jesus spent alone time with God before a big decision. Luke chapter 6, verse 12, Jesus again, he goes on a mountain to pray, and this time he prays to God all night. Now, I've never prayed all night. I've prayed for a couple hours, but he, 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 this is serious. Well, at daybreak, he calls together all of his disciples. Imagine maybe a couple hundred uh, men, women, children gathered around him, and he chose 12 to be apostles. Do you realize today, uh, people that study these things, missiologists, tell us that there are approximately 2 billion, that's 2 with a B, billion Christians as basic Christianity is understood across, across the planet. Christianity is a third of the world. It is the largest religion in the world at this point in time. And it all happened. And, and its founder died. The, his found, its founder died at 33. He only had three years on the earth. He didn't make podcasts. He didn't have television. He didn't have radio that could be played in perpetuity. He didn't write books. All he did is invested himself in 12 people. One of them betrayed him. So... I, before this, would you say that's a pretty big decision? That you want to take your gospel? And he prayed about this. And of course, you know the story. He picked Peter, Andrew, James, and John. But the last one he picked was Judas, who betrayed him. And I want to suggest this as a possibility. Uh, maybe he spent so much time in prayer is because he knew he would have to look at for three years the guy that was going to betray him. 
He'd look for three years. He'd be kind to him. He would teach him. He'd anoint him. He would show him things. He would love him. And this man would betray him with a kiss. Jesus knew this. Jesus was God, but Jesus was also a man. And can I say that's probably pretty hard? And what I find in life, the more things are emotionally difficult for me, the more emotion there is in a decision, the more time I need to be with God. Come on, to get it out of me and put it in his hands. Somebody say praise the Lord. Well, look at another one here, Luke 22. Jesus spent time alone with God in a crisis. Now this, we go to the Garden of Gethsemane. They've had the Last Supper. It's the latter hours of his life. He's going to be arrested. He's going to be beaten. He's going to be crucified the next day. So I can't think of a greater crisis. And where do we find him? Luke 22, he kneeled down and he said, what is prayer? Prayer is being with God. It's talking. It's listening. (laughs) It's perhaps even arguing a little bit. It's sharing how you feel. And Jesus prayed this, verse 42, Father, if you're willing, take away this cup of suffering. In other words, There's a part of me that doesn't want to do this. But then he said these incredible words, not my will, but yours be done. I don't want to do what I want. I want to do what you want. And then something incredible happened. An angel from heaven appeared to him to do what? Strengthen him to face the crisis. Now, you may not see a visible angel, but can I tell you, the same God who heard Jesus' prayer, who cared about Jesus in the middle of his crisis, is the same God that can come and strengthen you and can strengthen me. In the very next verse we read, the crowd, uh, he's full of pain, but he prayed even harder. This, my friends, is where Jesus was able to endure. Judas comes up, and of course you know the rest of the story. Well, what's the message in all of this? Take time with God every morning. Take time to be with God when you uh, have a decision to make. Take time to be with God in a crisis. What is this? This is not uh, vocational Christians. These are Christians who are living with God, and they find themselves close to Him. Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. He's worthy of our praise. Now, let's get personal now, because this is more than just read your Bible and pray. Staying close to God is not always easy. How many can say, I understand that, Pastor? And I want to talk to you about two things. Number one, it's hard to stay close when I don't like what Jesus is saying to me. How about when, you, when uh, somebody's messed you over really good and uh, what they need is justice and vengeance and they mean it right now, how many know you don't want to hear anything about forgiving them? You don't want to hear that. That's what lawyers are for. Come on, that's why there's so many lawyers, because we can't get along. Let's talk about this one first, and then we're going to talk about something similar, but when the Lord asks us to go some, through something difficult. John chapter 6, Jesus is speaking to the crowds, and he says, I am the bread of life. Now, usually, if you hear much about bread today, you hear don't eat it because it's got carbs in it and make you fat, right? But, but, but bread, is, now white bread, that's probably true. You know, the more nuts and beer, berries I got, the better it is. But in their day, it was the staff of life. It meant food to bring you life. And now Jesus, of course, is talking about spiritual food. The people began to murmur in disagreement because Jesus said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. And being logical like they were, they thought, listen, you didn't come down from heaven. Mary was your dad. Joseph was your, uh, Mary was your mom. Joseph was your dad. And you lived in Nazareth. What's this heaven stuff? Here's the point. Sometimes the words of Jesus can conflict with our rational, logical mind. 
If you read your Bible about creation and where human beings came from, God created Adam and Eve from the dust of the ground. If you go to the Smithsonian in Washington, you can take a tour, and I believe it's one full floor, it may be more, where they show nothing but uh, skeletal remains or skulls of what they believe were the, was the progress of humanity from an amoeba to a, you know, to a toad or whatever, a salamander, to a monkey, to a man, and here we are today. And we can have thoughts that conflict with Scripture and don't know how to reconcile them, and it makes us start to pull away. But listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you cannot have eternal life. So, is Jesus a cannibal? No, what He was saying, once again, a spiritual metaphor, is He was talking like we in communion. We remember the cup and the bread. We remember what Christ did to give us spiritual life. Well, many of the disciples said, this is very hard to understand And Jesus was aware that they were complaining, and he said, does this offend you? Now look at verse 66. At that point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him as opposed to getting closer to him. And this is what I want you to hear today. Sometimes what the Lord says to us is hard, and rather than staying close, believers pull away. A while back... um, Somebody did something to me, and it really hurt my feelings. And uh, my, my temper, my, my personality is, is uh, you know, I, I'll stay with you a while, but then I'm ready to throw you away. Uh, I may not punch you in the nose, but I'll unfriend you on Facebook. <laughs> well, anyway, this is, it became very emotional to me, this whole issue. I couldn't understand why they had done what they did, and it just, it just hurt me. And I'm with the Lord about it, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, talking to the Lord about my exit strategy, and I'll say, I'll say it this way, I had this feeling or this thought to forgive them. Well, that's not what I want, but here's what I know. If I wouldn't ha- would not have forgiven them, if the Lord's pathway for my life is this way, and part of the problem is there, I've got something standing in my way, unforgiveness, Because the scripture says, if you forgive men their sins, God will forgive you. But if you don't forgive men, God won't forgive you. It's like kinking a hose when you're washing the car. And I stopped, and I had to realize, I don't want to do this, but if I'm going to keep following Jesus, if I'm going to stay close to him, come on now, when you're having problems in your home, and, and the scripture says to the wife, honor and respect your husband. And you say, well, he doesn't deserve my honor and respect. Don't do, give him what he deserves. Give him what the Bible, come on now, you're with me today. See, this is where Christianity gets difficult, and this is when many people walk away from the Lord. Let me give you another example. Matthew 19, it's hard to stay close. Well, let me before I do that, let me finish the story after these people walked away. Jesus turned to the 12 apostles and said, are you going to leave too? And listen to what Simon Peter said, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words of eternal life. Now, you know what? Peter heard the same hard words as the rest of them did, but he chose to follow and stay close where the other ones walked away. Come on, give the Lord a good good hand here. Um. I'm going I'm to skip this next one for time's sake, but it's very similar. Uh, it's about staying close to the Lord when he asked us to go through something difficult. Remember the story about the rich young ruler. 
And the Lord asked him to give his possessions, sell them and give them to the poor. And he went away sad because he had great possessions. I want to tell you, friends, sometimes God asks us to do things in life. He asks us to make sacrifices. Uh, it's just part of being a Christian. Whether it's a sacrifice, to whether it's giving money, whether it's giving time. In my case, I left my home, I left my family, and I entered into vocational ministry. But there are defining moments in life that if we say no to the Lord, the closeness stops. We may still go to heaven now. We may still have a decent life, but we'll never find God's best. And sometimes the sacrifice, come on, can be a tool that Satan can use to stop the closeness. But I'm going to focus on these next two. Uh, this is about temptation that pulls us away from a close relationship with the Lord. And I want to tell you about two things. Number one, when we love the things of this world more than God. This is not necessarily about bad things. This is just about things. Uh, I want to illustrate it. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10. And it's about a man you don't hear much about in the Bible, but his name is Demas. Demas was like you and I. Demas was a committed Christian. Demas was with Paul. Uh, Demas knew Timothy. He was a, a member of the early church, and he was a part of the team. You might say that he was an elder or he was a pastor. He was a life group leader. He was someone that was in, in, in the thick of it. But notice what 2 Timothy 4.10 says. Demas, say it with me. Yeah, in love with this present world. Now, where is our love supposed to be? Remember the great commandment? Love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. It's the beginning place of maturity, loving Jesus more than anything else. But something happened in Demas's world. Uh, something captured his heart. He was in love with this present world, so he deserted me and he's gone to Thessalonica. Uh, it's a way of saying he left God's call. He walked away because he loved things. Now, we don't know what it was. It probably, I doubt Demas was a drug dealer, you know, and he wanted to go deal drugs again. I doubt that's the case. It could be. But maybe it was something like his hobby. Maybe uh, turkey season was coming up and he wanted to do the, the Grand Slam and hunt turkeys all over the world. And he just said, Paul, look, I'm, I'm, I'm taking four months off. Now, again, I'm not knocking hobbies, okay? I'm just saying we don't know what it was. He could have had someone come to him and he could have said, uh, he, he met a, a friend and the friend could have said, man, let me show you something. And he looked in his, his little belt there and it was full of gold coins. And Demas said, where did you get it? He said, man, I have found this deal. There's this ship that comes in, it lands in Thessalonica, and it's got these spices, and usually they have more, that, you know, more than they need or whatever the case is, and what I do is I buy them, and I go across the mountain, and I sell them there, and I double my money. It's more money I've ever made in my life. And again, nothing's wrong with making money. But Demas was serving the Lord on a pathway with God, and perhaps money enticed him. I don't know what it was, but the parable of the sower tells us it can happen to us. You remember in the parable of the sower, the word of God was like seed. And in one case, it fell among thorns. And thorns, if you know anything about gardening, I mean, no, you're not going to have good tomato plants if you've got a lot of weeds growing around it. You've got to consistently go out there and pull out the weeds. Otherwise, the weeds get the fertilizer and you don't get tomatoes. But the seed of the word of God fell among thorns. And it represents people who hear God's word, but the message is crowded. See, when I do this, I want you to tell me what's next. You're probably thinking, what's the preacher doing, scratching his ear? No, I want you to say it with me. He crowded out. 
And this is the problem. Sometimes God just gets crowded out. It's not bad things that crowd God out. It's just things. Life is complicated. I mean, if you got a sweet little puppy dog at home, how many know that puppy's going to give you cuddle and love and all that? But how many know you got to take him to the vet and you got to get heartworm shots and you got to buy the collar and you got to get the, the fence and he digs a hole under the fence and you got to get him neutered or you got to get her spayed or blah, 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 blah. And then they come in the house and then you got to get the house furniture clean and then the cat has, you know, has wrecked the couch and now you got to buy a new couch. Come on now, offer a cat. You don't know why you got it. Just wandered on your front doorstep and said, can I come in? Nothing's wrong with pets. I've got three. Well, my daughter has three, and I have, since, I have adopted them since she left. But here's what Jesus said. The worries of life, the lure of wealth, and the desire for other things. And this is a great challenge for us as Americans in the pursuit of prosperity and blessings that are from God, prosperity and success, Jesus can get crowded out. And how many know you can only go so far this way until the voice of Jesus becomes very faint? Come on, tell your neighbor he's preaching better than we're amening this morning. Let me give you one more. We can lose closeness with God when we allow an unbeliever to pull us away from God's ways. Any of you come to Christ and your family thought you were crazy? I mean, they thought you were just gone plumb nuts. I mean, it's okay to go to church, but don't be a Jesus freak. It's okay to do the God thing. Well, they'll get over it. So, so anyway, an unbeliever, this is what the Bible says. 2 Corinthians 6, don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? Now, here's what we're getting at. We're going to become like the people we hang out with. I, I, I have friends this morning. I had something that I was dealing with, and I had several people just put their arm around my shoulder or pat me on the back or hug me or whatever and said, God's with you. Man, that, 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 that helped me. It did, did me good. Well, how about if my other set of friends, if I'm taking a break between services, pulls up and, and, and he pulls out you know, a bottle of old, a wild turkey. How about that? That fits right in. <laughs> And he pulls out a bottle of wild turkey, and he said, this will help you make it through, brother. <laughs> oh, yeah, it helped me make it through, all right. This is my last sermon. God bless you guys. <laughs> How many know the people that you're with affect you? Now, let me be very clear. You know what? Jesus was known for hanging out with the wild bunch. Sinners, prostitutes, lawbreakers, tax collectors. But it doesn't mean that they were his circle of influence. It means he loved them wherever they were. He always welcomed them. But he wouldn't let them influence and control him. I, I like old television shows. I, I guess it shows my age. But I, I just hate to watch a show today. Most 30-minute shows are just, they just I don't, I'm not interested in them. So I watch an old Andy uh, Mayberry, Andy Griffith rerun. So you've got Opie. Opie is eight years old. He and his buddies are going fishing. And they're all excited about it. But a new kid comes to town and, and, and pulls them away. And we're not going fishing. We're going to steal some apples from the grocery store. So they steal the apples and they're in your yard. And they throw an apple and they break the, 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 uh, you know, the little street light. Well, of course, Sheriff Andy comes up and he realizes that he has an eight-year-old gang. 
And they asked the question, what's happened to these boys? They're so good boys. Somebody came in and pulled them away from the right path and got them on the wrong path. And this is a danger for all of us. Because if you're going to be close to God, there's just some people that you can't let influence your life. Let me give you another one. It's a specific one. It's about, it's about how our lust gets us in trouble. Um, I asked a man one time, he was 80, I said, D -d does uh, the sexual lust ever go away? He said, sorry to tell you, but no. So it's, you got awful quiet there. <laughs> but I want you to listen just a moment to about Samson. Samson was a man, now listen, he was, he was called of God. He was a man that did great miracles in the land. But three times in the Bible, his eyes are drawn to someone he shouldn't have given attention to. And he did more than just look. Well, number three, how many know the devil is always progressive? He doesn't start out with the knockout blow. He starts out slow and easy and a little bit at a time before he tries to knock you out. Well, Delilah knocked him out. Samson, the secret of his, his great strength was in his hair. He was a Nazarite. In other words, it, was, it wasn't his hair. It was that God made a, a, a boundary for him to live within. And as long as he lived within it, he was anointed supernaturally. But he falls in love with this woman named Delilah. Now, she was likely a Philistine, which was a no-no, not someone he, she should be, he should be with. But number two, he allowed his lust to get the best of him. And uh, uh, these Philistines said, if you enticed Samson to tell us what makes him strong, he'll overpower you. So this woman gave him two things. She gave him herself, but then she gave him betrayal. And what happens always, it sounds good when the offer is there. If your marriage is at a plateau and it's not very, you know, you know and, and, and he doesn't have the six-pack or eight-pack that he did when you married him and she didn't look as good in a bikini as she used to, you understand. When life changes, our eyes can wander. But Samson ignored biblical purity and let his lust take over. And he chose her over closeness to God. And it cost him dearly. It cost him. They gouged out his eyes. He lost his ministry and he even lost his life. Now, he redeemed himself in the end. And listen, God can forgive us. But I'm telling you, this dynamic in our world today, whether it's homosexual attraction or heterosexual attraction, or whether it's the perversity that we see towards child abuse and child molestation, it attracts, it gets at something that Jesus created us to be very good, our sexual attraction, but he put it within the boundary of marriage. And when Satan tries to pull us off of it, come on now, it will bring us to destruction. It'll, it'll affect closeness with God. Well, listen, let me, let me wrap up here. Um, what do we do when we spend time with God? Remember a few minutes ago, I, I gave you the illustration of Jesus. He gets up early in the morning and he goes to be with God. I can get up five minutes early and go be with God. That's better than no minutes. But what am I going to do if I have a half an hour? Let me tell you about my life. I, I, there's certainly people that are closer to God than I am, but I have walked with God for over 40 years. The depth of my love for God and my commitment, I think, is greater today than at any time in my life. I am not perfect, but let me tell you what I do to maintain my relationship with God. What I do in the morning, what I do throughout the day, and what I do in the evening before I go to bed. Because, I mean, no, a devotion time is important, 
but it's not enough. And I'm not talking about quitting your job, and I'm not talking about quit turkey hunting. I'm talking about living your life. I'm talking about living your life with Jesus in the center. When I, get, when I wake up in the morning, the first thing I do when I wake up is I declare a Bible verse. And the verse that comes out of my mouth is this, and I say it out loud so my ears can hear. I say, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. And let me tell you why. I have battled since my wife had breast cancer for about five years on and off an anxiety disorder. It's not worry. I don't worry about things, but it's, I don't know whether it's cortisol, whether it's adrenaline. Nobody can really figure it out, but something just throws me out of whack. And that can just go on for days in my life. And the only time I can get away from it is when I sleep, and I sleep like a baby. And I used to wake up in the morning and dread the day. I used to wake up in the morning not knowing how in the world can I make it through this day. But when I started declaring out of my mouth, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and I will be glad in it. I am not letting the feeling that's real inside control me. There's another scripture, Philippians 1, 6. He who began, the, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. He who began the good work in me, he will bring it to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. So I'm not in this thing. And that's before I get out of bed. When I put my feet on the floor, I say, Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done in my life today. I am orienting myself to God from the get-go. Now, I hadn't read my Bible yet. After I do that, I put my clothes on. I, sometimes it's a shower first. Sometimes it's the pets. You know, it's breakfast. But at some point, I'm ending up uh, at my desk upstairs is where I go. That's my private place to be with God. I don't think you can have your time with God in front of the television. Come on. You cannot have your, you know, your earbuds in, listen to music, and watching TV and having a time with Jesus. You can't do it. You've got to turn all the noise off and let him know that he's first and foremost. Otherwise, it would just be like your girlfriend. Let me know if you're, and let me give you some, uh, a hint here, single fellas. Um, if you have this girl that you really, really like, uh, don't be looking at all the other girls walking down the street. Don't be commenting on the one on television, you know, and say she sure looks good and I wish you dressed like that. Come on. How many know that woman wants single focus on her? And all the women said, Amen. well, God wants single focus on him. So I go to a, the same place every morning. I go upstairs. And, uh, you know, sometimes you're traveling and you can't do it. But that's, that's kind of my place. I open my Bible and I read. Because the Bible says that thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. It is God's word. And God's going to show me how to walk during the day. He's going to give scripture to encourage me. He's going to speak to me. He's going to help me. And then when I get it from my Bible, I take a time to pray. Now, you, we pray in different ways in different places. I like to walk and pray. It's just better than just kneeling in one place. I like to walk and pray. But the way I start my prayers is with thanksgiving and worship. The Bible says, give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. Um, I, I will give thanks to the Lord. I will recount all your wonderful deeds. So my prayer time is not by saying, oh, God, I need some money for the mortgage, and Lord, I don't feel good today, and Lord, Lord. No. 
Lord, I want to thank you that you helped me get up this morning, and I want to thank you that I have a job, and I want to thank you that I got a house to live in. I thank you that I had food to eat. I thank you, Lord, that I got shoes on to wear on my feet. I thank you that my eyesight works. I thank you, Lord, that my fingers still have dexterity. I thank you that this pain that I was having has been healed, and it's going away, and I'm feeling better, and I set myself up, come on, for the God of all glory, and I'm worshiping him. And then I pour out my heart to him. I use the Lord's Prayer, I've taught you this, as a model, not just repeating the words, but each phrase is like steps on a ladder that you pause and pray in that direction. I do that, but I always pour out my heart to God. There's always emotion that I bring into my prayer life. If I'm hurting, if I need to forgive someone, if I'm afraid, if I'm struggling, I I, I, I wrestle with God in this time. I pour out my heart. And the last thing I do in my prayer time is is I consciously and deliberately practice the psalm that says, Be still and know that I am God. And in my little world, what that means, I have talked to God a lot in walking the circle, but I take one or two more laps and I don't say a word. I listen, but I just help. It, it just, I don't have to, it just, there's just a feeling of I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses. And he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I'm his own. That's what I do in the morning. And it doesn't take all that long. But during the day, I try to do a couple things. I, I, I try when I, there's a problem, when there's a need or a decision, I try to pause and say, Help me, Lord. And that's, the only, that's all the prayer is. Show me what to do. I need your wisdom. Help me. What is that? It's calling close. And as you draw close to God, what will God do? He'll draw close to you. And then when something good happens, I say, thank you, Lord. When I hang up the phone and it was a good conversation or a good decision or a deal was made or whatever the case is, I say, thank you, Lord. I'm drawing close. I pray over my food at lunch. Who gives a rip who's watching Yeah, I say thank you, Lord, because I recognize him that he's the one that that gave it to me. It's sometimes I'm going to put my head on my pillow. I'm usually asleep or getting ready to go to bed, and and, and I couldn't have a devotion time at night. Me personally, I'd be asleep after five minutes. But when I lay my head on my pillow, I take a moment and I say thank you. Thank you for watching over me. Thank you for caring for me. Thank you for giving me hope for tomorrow. If I have time, I'll think of some of the things that happened that day. I ask God to inhabit my dreams. I tell him good night. And then when I wake up again, I say, good morning, Lord. Come on, give him a hand today. He's worthy of all our praise. Bless the Lord. Why don't you stand to your feet? We're going to close in prayer. And I hope you'll really do two things. I hope you'll stop at that table in the lobby and get some information about foster parenting. Just kind of see what it's about, how you can help. But the second thing is I really hope you'll join us over at Gander Mountain. I'll be there when I get done at the door. But we're going to go in groups. We'll have several people there. You won't have to wait for a lot of people. But it'll take about 15 minutes. And let me tell you why I'm asking you to do it. We've begun construction at Gander Mountain. And I think it's important that we pray because there's a real devil that would like to stop us. We don't want anybody to get hurt. We don't want any cost overruns. We want it to work well. We want it to be the ministry tool that God's designed it to be. And I want to ask you to join me and pray over that former Gander Mountain, our new church home. But right now, I want you to just bow your head just a moment. And I just wonder, what did the Holy Spirit say to you this morning? Would you just tell him yes? 
Maybe that's the starting place for all of us. Yes, Lord, I want to be close to you. I, I, I don't want to just go to heaven when I die. I don't want to just pray when I have a need. I want to be close to you. I would like to be a mature Christian who knows your voice and does what you say. I'd like to have opportunities like Ananias had. I, I'd like, God, if I go through a crisis to really know that you're there. So, Lord, I guess on behalf of all of us, would you help us to commit ourselves afresh to a daily time with God? That when we get up in the morning, we address you and say good morning. We have scripture. We read our Bibles. We pray. Whether it's a short time or whether it's 15, 20, 30 minutes. But we take some time to be with God. Help us in this Holy Spirit. Lord, I want to pray for myself and for all of us. That we wouldn't walk away from you when what you're asking is too hard. That we wouldn't walk away because you've said something in the Bible and we're just unwilling to do it. We don't want to walk away. And Lord, particularly, I want to ask you to help us. I know people in this room today have unbelievers in their life or perhaps a Christian living like an unbeliever. And rather than them helping them get closer, they're pulling them away from you. And I want to pray for them in particular that they would have the courage to put the right distance between the people they know and the people closest to them are those that are going to help them in their walk with God. Welcome, Holy Spirit, today. Come on, won't you just take a moment, slip your hands to heaven. And maybe you've never even done this, but I want you to say, Lord, I love you. I love you. You first love me. And I want to be able to love you, the unseen yet real God. Welcome in my life. I open the door today. I get off the throne of my heart. And I am your child. In Jesus' name. And everybody say it? Amen. Amen. Let's close with one song. During this song, we're going to invite our prayer team to come to the front. They would pray with you about anything. I dare say perhaps something in this message spoke to you at a deep level. And a decision was made or needs to be made. I would encourage you to let somebody pray with you over that. But we'll pray about anything. But the last, the, perhaps the most important prayer we'd like to pray for is if you're here today and you'd be honest enough to say, Pastor, I don't really have a relationship with God. I, I've never committed my life to Christ. I'm not a follower of Christ. If I died today, I don't know if I'd go to heaven or hell. But I want what you're talking about. I want to be close to God. Can I tell you, friends, it has a starting place. I, I was raised in church like many, but how many know going to church, it's a good thing, but that doesn't make you a Christian. What makes you a Christian is really two things. Number one, if I can allow the cross to represent Jesus, it is believing that Jesus Christ died for my sins, that He is God's sacrifice, died was punished for my sins, was buried and rose from the dead on the third day and offers eternal life to everyone that believes that. But the second thing is a little more difficult because all of us are born walking away from God. Some of us are running away from God, but most of us are just kind of drifting. 
whenever we need God, we look and say, hey, will you help? Here we got a little crisis. Need a little help. When the crisis is over, we say, I'll, I'll be back. But we go this way. The defining point for a Christian is when we do this. And say, Jesus, I want to begin to follow you. I'm getting off the throne of my life today. And I want Jesus not only to be my Savior, I want you to be my Lord. And I want to believe today and follow you. Because I need the forgiveness of my sins. And I want to follow you for the rest of my life. If that's you today, please let us pray for you. It is a prayer of invitation. Inviting Christ in your life. I promise you we won't embarrass you. We'll give you some things to help you in your spiritual journey. But it is the greatest step you'll ever make in your spiritual life. Inviting Christ to be the Lord and Savior of your life. I did it on August 15th, 1976. This can be your day. What is it? Uh, November 16th, 17th, 2020. This can be your day to begin your relationship with God. And my prayer today is that you make your step to Him that you do it now. Go ahead and begin to sing, Pastor Zach. Our prayer team is coming to the front. They will be here for prayers for anything. And as we sing, if you need to get your life right with God, you want to know Christ the Savior, come to the cross. We'd be honored to pray for you. I love you. Let's go ahead and sing. And after the final song, dismiss, and I'll see you at Gander.